0: Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. This episode of the Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School. Not Sorry Art School is my online art school I created two and a half years ago to supplement my workshop teaching when the pandemic hit. It became a really great resource where I could put all of my knowledge about representational painting into one space. We add one new section or demo every quarter to Not Sorry Art School, and you don't have to pay a membership fee. You pay one time and then you get access to all of the past videos and all future videos. Not Sorry Art School has an online Facebook group where I have office hours every Monday and I answer questions within the Not Sorry Art School Facebook group. And there's also a wonderful sense of community on there where people will share their paintings and get great consensual feedback. I'm really excited about Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested, make sure to click the link and check out the about page to learn more about Not Sorry Art School. Hello and welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari. Thanks for being here. Today's episode is a little bit of that like wonderful overflow energy that I get after doing any kind of teaching in person, whether it's a workshop or a painting retreat. I had this feeling a couple months ago when I did my Texas retreat where I just wanted to run to the podcast and kind of gush and share all my thoughts, but I was like, you know what? It's not very organized. I'll just, I'll sit on these thoughts, but I sort of beat myself up for that, for not at least sitting down and making an episode because I feel like there's a lot of really good insights that happen when a bunch of creative people get together and we do some of the hard work of like pushing through, you know, anything from conundrums that happen when you're trying to make a painting work all the way down to like the deeper work that can happen when you're doing something creative. And so today is kind of a catch-all episode. I'm going over a few of these things. One thing we're going to talk about is mark making versus picture making and I've made captions about this in the past but I wanted to sort of expand upon it and I also wanted to talk a little bit about style and ultimately I wanted to talk about how Artwork is heart work. I know that sounds really like cheesy, but it's something that comes up a lot. And I wanted to give it a moment to sort of talk about what I mean by that and how that can show up in your work. So if you're ready for a little bit of a disjointed episode, but a very energy filled and exciting episode about something I feel very passionate about, then stay tuned. Thank you guys for being here. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so for a little bit of context, I am lucky enough to get to teach as a part of my how I'm able to make being an artist work. And that's something I talked about in the past, and I can certainly expand upon in a future episode, is just the importance of what's the phrase, not putting all your eggs in one basket as an artist. I think sometimes there's a misconception that most artists sell originals and that's how they sort of hold themselves up as artists. And from what I've seen, and certainly my own experience, that's not the case it's almost like a bonus when I sell an original it happens but it's super inconsistent I'll go through a season where it's like wow this is so great and then other seasons where I will have months without selling any large original and that's totally normal that's just how art is and so whenever I was in a position to like want to make this my full-time job I remember thinking through all the different ways you can make money as an artist, right? You can license out your work, you can make patterns, you can do commissions, you can sell prints, you can buy, you know sell merchandise. And teaching always felt like a pretty obvious choice for me because I so genuinely enjoy it. I remember one time reading a caption from an artist who I really admire and look up to, and they said something to the tune of like, I would never want to teach, it's just not interesting to me. And I, I didn't realize that it wasn't just like, everyone wanted to like share what they learned with everyone and that's not a bad thing like I think I totally respect people who know their boundaries and not everyone it's a hard job like not everyone can teach I've certainly had to learn and how to be a effective teacher but um, I've always loved it I've always loved it so much whether it's sharing a step-by-step on my Instagram or you know not sorry art school but obviously there's such amazing beauty and and just fulfillment in teaching in person so i love teaching workshops and retreats and a note about retreats is that they are like workshops except for they're usually a little bit longer for me my retreats are between like 5 and 7 days long and you sleep at the location and you eat your meals on location and it kind of feels like a little bit of like a college experience and one of the things i love so much about retreats is that a lot of times most pretty much 100% of the people who sign up for my retreats are women or people who identify as females. And so there's something really wonderful about being able to provide all of the meals and sort of a lot of this like low-grade domestic labor that so so many women tend to take on. And that way these people, women, can really focus on their artwork. And I think I'm bringing this up to say that a lot of these breakthroughs are happening because I feel like it's not just like my teaching, certainly. It's really – that people are given the space and the freedom and and the encouragement to just focus on themselves and their creativity and their practice and I think I come to this episode with so much excitement because that always to me feels a bit like magic and I'm 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 going to be brief and I'm going to try not to like oversell it. I'm not, I promise that's not where I'm going with this. But a lot of the breakthroughs that happened, I think, are just a result of me as a professor, teacher, whatever instructor, holding up a mirror to these students and allowing them to make breakthroughs. And I wanted to share some of those. I'm not going into anyone's personal information, but I am sharing some real things that happened. And I think you guys will really enjoy these. So the first one, I talked about in the intro is mark making versus picture making now this is something a concept that i was first introduced to in college and it's this idea that as painters specifically okay this can pertain to a lesser degree to maybe illustrators and stuff but there's a distinction between an illustrator maybe even a designer and a painter because a painting is almost more akin to a sculpture than an illustration and granted both paintings and illustrations happen in 2d But painting also has a physicality and a presence and a body that sort of extends just a flat screen, right? A good design or illustration makes a really good cover to a magazine or a book and, you know, works well uh, in computer. And certainly paintings can hold up in that way. But I will just say going to a museum, going to a gallery in person and seeing the art, I know it's going to sound a little bit like blowing smoke. I guess I have to remember that I am talking to a group of artists. But there is a distinct difference. It, it does feel different in person. There's texture. There's light. There's body. There's scale. All these things that sort of need to happen uh, in person to make sense. And so the idea of picture making versus mark making is that – Mark making is more of how do you move the paintbrush across a canvas? How do you fill up that empty negative space? What brush strokes do you use? Do you use a palette knife? Are you scratching? Are you scraping? Are you scumbling? All of these juicy terms I googled before this episode. Mark making and Google provided this really lovely list of all the different ways you can sort of scratch onto a canvas. And and then of course it's compared to picture making. Which picture making is like more of I am painting a picture of an apple and so it's the it's making sure that whoever's looking at it can understand that this is a picture of an apple and the beautiful thing about painting is that if if you're kind of tapping into I don't know the bigger more robust aspect of painting you're doing both at the same time and often my favorite painters Combine them both together masterfully. Like maybe you at first see the picture and then you see the mark making, or sometimes even really good artists will kind of do the opposite. I feel like John Singer Sargent is a really good example of someone who balances these two things together really well. If you've ever seen a Singer Sargent in person, you know when you're standing across the gallery, it looks almost photorealistic. But the minute you're like, Two inches I guess you can't get that close in the gallery <laughs> the minute you're like two feet away from the singer sergeant you can see that it's just especially fabric like it's just blobs and dots and scribbles and it's absolutely amazing and so I'm bringing this up now because One thing I notice as a teacher often is that students get really hung up on picture making. The first goal, and this is totally understandable, is I want to make sure I make something that looks like my reference photo or my still life that I'm looking at or whatever I'm painting outside. And I think it's because when we first sort of enter into picture making, drawing, coloring as kids, there's this desire to have our teachers and our peers sort of understand what we're creating right we if we're trying to paint or draw a picture of a squirrel we just we want people to recognize it right we know that we know what we're drawing but it's you know it's relevant and I think that that's important because that is like making an image 101 right you want people to understand that you're making an apple but sometimes we allow that first step that first guiding principle of that I called it a bunch of times at the retreat of the north star of like I want people to know what I'm looking at I want to accurately depict my reference photo we can allow that mindset to be in the driver's seat for for too long and we sort of forget that mark making that more guttural experience the scratching is a part of painting as well now another way I sort of conceptualize mark making is whenever you're a little kid I'm sure this is a common experience and you walk past like a foggy window and you just kind of run your fingers you make like a wiggly line a straight line a circle a dot maybe if you're like an advanced kid you do the 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 side of your hand print and make a little baby's foot I don't know if that's a niche experience but that that was my experience but just this desire to sort of like say you were here right put your initials make an x make a squiggle or similarly whenever you are at the beach and you pick up a stick and you just kind of make those swirls in the sand write your name in cursive the only real goal is just to make marks and the takeaway with this whole mark making versus picture making conversation is that there's really wonderful things to be mind when we can individually find that balance for ourselves right that that mixture between okay I am technically painting a flower but I'm also being sari filling up space putting pigment on a on a board putting color on a panel and then scratching at it and scrubbing at it with a brush until I make something that feels exciting to me And I feel like this is a fun concept. Again, I learned it in college and it was important when I learned it then, but it's also a very interesting concept because one of the students who made the biggest breakthrough with this concept where I had a one-on-one was someone who works in a creative field. They work at a really well-known company and they design very prominent things in this very well-known company. Um, I'm trying not to get into specifics, but very prestigious and it's very their work is very creative. And yet they had a hard time letting go the need to perfectly render a picture versus leaning into their instincts and allowing themselves to deviate from that perfect picture in order to make marks, tapping into that childhood version of themselves that ran their fingers along a foggy window. And when I sort of positioned this concept to that student and said, like, make sure that you're still listening to that more internal childlike part of yourself and remember to show up and just make marks and that that's valuable too and that you don't have to just perfectly render images to be worthy of that painting experience and in fact something that makes painting more exciting is the fact that you are going to deviate you are going to make marks you're going to show up your dna is going to be in this painting somehow and that's an asset i feel like it's a really wonderful thing to sort of really take in and find purpose for in your own creative practice. And so, I wanted to share that. I feel like that's not its own episode, but it's definitely it was a breakthrough that we had at the retreat and I just I wanted to run to the podcast and share that with you guys. And the next point I wanted to talk about is style. I would say that I feel like style might fit well into that first point, the mark making versus picture making, because in a lot of ways that's what style kind of is. It's 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 a lot of things. One thing I feel like that people tend to think about style, especially if you go from being kind of um, someone who doesn't have a creative practice or maybe has had a practice go dormant and maybe they just forgot, is that, you know, it's not like being a consumer. I ha- I have a feeling that this can actually run quite a bit deeper. So eventually I want to make an episode about this. But, you know, we live in a culture, especially if you're listening to this, from the Western world, North America. We have this sort of idea that you – almost come to creativity as a consumer and so one of the ways I feel like in our world that we are encouraged to be I'm going to say creative I'm going to put an asterisk next to it but it feels like one of our only sort of creative outlets is in what we consume and the choice you know we think okay well what like buying groceries is a creative act not necessarily but whatever brand of you know Stanley cup versus Yeti cup versus an old water bottle you know whatever we choose as our water can actually kind of give us a glimpse of our personality um, or what we think of our personality or you know whatever designer brands you wear or that you don't wear you shop exclusively at thrift stores and Macari I mean the the brands that we wear and kind of what we choose to spend our money on um, can be a function of utility certainly and maybe it's mostly that but I would also say that capitalism as it is today I feel like really benefits from that being one of our few encouraged creative outlets and so what I think ends up happening because I'm not going to dive again too far into that but one thing that happens is that when people do come to their creative practice they sort of assume that style picking your style is kind of like that consumer act where you sort of are affronted with like this catalog maybe that's Pinterest maybe it's the Instagram explore page maybe it's your art history textbook who knows But you're confronted with like this big index of all the creative styles you can have and you thumb through it and then you put your finger on style that speaks to you and you do that. And that's really not how style is formed. Certainly that can be a component of it. You can be just like so enamored with a certain artist's approach to painting that it finds its way into your own style. Yes, that happens both consciously and subconsciously, but I have always seen style as like I've made a whole episode about this but as a style sandwich which is that in the meat of the sandwich the middle all the layers of your sandwich are going to be things like your creative influences who you learn to paint from your cultural background your working pace your the shows that you watch the art that you are currently exposed to your other creative practices all of those things are largely influential on how you you make art but the top and the bottom buttons are your strengths and your weaknesses. And your strengths are that you're really good at seeing color and drawing comes easy to you. And your weaknesses are that you struggle with value and perspective. Whatever, I'm just picking things out of a hat. And, you know, we, whether or not we like it or we don't, we consume all those things kind of in one bite. And all those things melded together give us what's going to ultimately be a unique style. Now, it doesn't mean that if you are bad at drawing and you dislike that about yourself, that you yield to this fact and it's unchangeable. Certainly not. I know that for me personally, drawing has never been one of my strengths. And yet I have worked very hard to get to a place where I'm comfortable with it. So it doesn't have to define you necessarily. But I will say that the conclusion I'm driving at here a little bit is that you don't have to feel like everything about you that maybe is typically considered a weakness needs to be something that you run from, right? I was talking, you know, with my group that there are a handful of artists who I absolutely adore, so genuinely, who lean into kind of wonky drawings and they don't find the most astute value choices. They wouldn't be considered kind of a painter's painter but it adds to the charm and uniqueness of their artwork. And I don't mean that in a everyone can draw everyone's unique kind of way. I mean that in like a these artists are very successful in their galleries and it's very important to their work that they aren't 100%. I'm using the word perfect here lightly because I just mean perfectly representational and that it doesn't look hyper-realistic. The fact that these people deviate on many levels and then also are very strong in other levels in addition of course to their influences, gives you their style and it's the good and the bad and all of it together and most people can't kind of pick up on all the things. All they know is that it's a unique style but it's important to know as an artist that you are all of these things combined and if you're learning just strictly wanting to become perfect at representational realism and then just somehow in some random handbook picking out style, that's not how that works. A lot of style is like, Coming to terms with who you are as a person and how you show up, and your strengths and your weaknesses. And it's messy. And it's a lot of introspecting and it's a lot of asking yourself, Do I need to fix this? Do I want to fix this? Why do I want to fix this? And I know that that's tough and gritty because a lot of times those questions are laced with, you know, things that happened, art teachers who said stuff to us, parents who told us we would never be able to be artists, all these like sticky, sticky things. But I will say the most meaningful creative self-exploration comes at the other end of these questions. And so the takeaway here is like, don't be line to what we would consider perfect representational realism. Enjoy the journey and don't be so quick to flush out all of your, I'm using air quotes here, quote flaws, and rather do the hard work of developing a practice that asks yourself Why? Why do you need to change this? For who are you trying to change this? And I think if you can pepper those questions into your practice in a meaningful way, and you can introspect and you can learn to love yourself and show up and do the work, of course, I think that that is going to yield you a very meaningful and wonderful style that nobody else can hold a candle to. So that was a conversation we had. It was wonderful. We all talked about it at various points, both in one-on-ones and as a group, and it was just really fun, and I wanted to share that also on this podcast. And finally, the last thing I wanted to talk about is something that came up in my Texas retreat a few months ago, and it just became kind of a subplot, I would say, <laughs> to the most recent retreat I did in Morocco. And that is artwork is heart work. And again, I know it's so it's so corny. I'm sure it's already a thing. I, You know, when it popped into my head, I remember instantly batting it away because it was just so cheesy. But I do think that... It's exactly what these retreats are really good for. And I do think you can have this magic outside of a retreat. Again, I'm hoping this podcast can yield some of that. But it's this idea that at the very beginning of the retreat, the intro conversation I had with everyone, you know, I gave my spiel, you know, my painting style, because it is heavily emphasized in layering, you know, my go-to phrase when people show up is that our mistakes are not only tolerated, but they're welcomed. And the idea is that when we deviate and mess up, it's not only like okay it's part of the process we have to learn but I think a lot of times our best little breakthroughs and insights can happen when we're you know the bottle that we painted is a little too far to the left and so we covered it up and we moved it to the right but we didn't all the way cover it up and now you have this little bottle colored bit in the background that makes it look cool and atmospheric and you would never intentionally do that on your own the only way you got that magical piece of teal in your background is because you you made a mistake and you moved your bottle. I know it's hard to visualize, bear with me. But the idea is that a lot of the favorite, my favorite things in most of my paintings have come from me completely butchering my underdrawing and then not completely fixing it and moving things around. And it just turns into sort of this magic. And so I I explained that at the beginning of of my retreats. But the thing I always say after is that, like, save room, make space for the fact that a lot of times when we're doing, we, we settle aside a lot of time for creative work and creative exploration things come up and it doesn't always mean it's some big traumatic crazy thing and we're not contending with like our parent wounds and all that it doesn't it doesn't always have to be that deep but sometimes it can just be I just don't trust myself or I never have the time to dedicate to myself because I have young children or it can be anything big small dramatic nuanced whatever it is but those things come up you know I think sometimes I treat my creative practice not too differently from my practice as a distance runner in that it is it's on surface level it's pretty regimented it's just every day you put in a little bit of mileage or time in the studio and that you take care of yourself for the sake of getting better and you stretch you know and you you do all the right things and you eat good meals and you take care of yourself so that you can be better at your, your craft but I will say the one thing that's just so different with art making is that it does dredge up a lot of deeper things within yourself, whether that's like childhood wounds or strengths or some mixture of all of those things. And anytime I do any kind of teaching, and I'm telling you guys, I'm not, I'm from the Midwest, I'm from the Ozarks, I'm just, I, I try to stay pretty planted solidly two feet on the ground, but it just... Creative stuff is just deeply attached to worth and self-identity and our early relationships with people who were taking care of that, us, whether that was teachers or parents or siblings or whatever. And so I always try to make space for that on retreats. But the thing I think you can carry into your own practice is the importance of making space for that within your practice. And okay, that doesn't mean you have to like make all of your painting days a therapy session not necessarily. And I I certainly can attest to, I'll go months and months and months with it being strictly a painting practice where I just show up, I make something, I go to bed. But understanding that, um, you know, if you get rejection or feedback, or I just like, you can't seem to make things work, you're having a dry spell, whatever it is, I just always want to remind you that probably there's something under there that The artwork is attached to heart work. And I just would encourage making sure that if we are struggling with something, if we're having a slump, or even if we're having a win, the importance of introspecting and sort of taking all of ourselves into account, right? Like one thing I see happen a lot, I see it in the retreats, but I also see it online with some of my peers, is when someone's having a bit of an artist block maybe not all the time, but most of the time it's attached to needs not being met, right? Whether that's a very basic need like safety or food or shelter or time, you know, something very uh, obvious, or it's that you are feeling distant from people you love or not self-actualized or something like that. And, you know, it can seem silly. It can seem kind of like oh well buck up. You can still make something sitting down and drawing is just sitting down and drawing. But no, sitting down and drawing can also be hard work, right? And I'm further emboldened in this theory because I also am very lucky to get to follow a couple of art therapists on TikTok. I would love to have one of them on the podcast. (laughs) I'm putting that out there. But I follow a couple of these artists and art therapists, and they're always telling me, us, the audience, about the connection between making art, whether that's just scribbling with crayons on paper, and our mental health and our emotional health and how that's all deeply tied together. And so I guess, again, just the takeaway, the summation here is that whenever we are pouring into ourselves creatively, we have to remember that our ourselves, the deeper part of ourselves, our emotional selves is right there under the surface. And so, you know, it's a good piece of wisdom to have. I don't know. Maybe this seems, maybe this is very basic for everyone, but I certainly approached my creative practice for a long time with a just buck up. It's just are you can make something sort of mentality. Maybe that's why I had a year and a half <laughs> of artist block, <laughs> But... I think if I had heard someone say a couple years earlier, if I had heard someone say that they're connected, that to be creative is to be compassionate to yourself, I think that would have given me some insight on where I should have put my energy when I was having the artist block. And maybe it should have been a little less, you're lazy, it's not that hard, get over yourself, and a little more. The way to getting back to making art is through self-compassion. So I am hoping that that is glaringly obvious and everyone is rolling their eyes. And maybe I've already turned off the episode by this point. But if you need to hear it, then that's the encouragement that I would give you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope it wasn't too disjointed. I tried to block it up and talk about a point you know, three, three solid points in this episode. Um, And if anyone from my retreat, whether it's the Texas one or the Morocco one is listening, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I so appreciate y'all's insights and sharing with me. I always say this, but I feel like I learn as much if not more from my students than they learned from me and I very much feel like we're peers I'm lucky I'm privileged I'm blessed all those things to be able to get to spend time making art and thinking about art and talking about art and if I can share some of that with them that I'm just so incredibly lucky and you know if you ever get a chance to sign up for a painting retreat whether it's with me or not I encourage it lots of great stuff happens make sure it's someone you're safe you feel safe and comfortable with because it's an experience it's going to dredge up a lot (laughs) and in the fun you get to really find a group of people who are also creative and prioritize um, creativity and that's just an incredibly fun uh, it just incredibly amazing experience so thank you again and thank you for listening thank you for everyone to listening to this podcast always feels really special i hope you guys have a great rest of your day happy creating and sign up for a retreat if you can